Hey, this is a Hakawati production. Hi there, this is Nadia here with you. And before I get to our guest today, I want to give you a little update on the podcast. We started last June with a humorous idea for a show called The Men's Room that would reference, well, you know, the men's room for those of us who appreciate a little uncensored toilet humor. But the idea had a bigger purpose, of course. The main focus of the show is to introduce you to the Middle East's most influential and game-changing minds. It's no secret, of course, that there are more men than women in leadership positions, especially in the Middle East. But that's not to say that there aren't many, many brilliant Arab women in the region and abroad who operate at least at the same level as their male counterparts. Women who are leveling the playing field, not by what they say, but what they do. I've come to the realization, in fact, that there are so many of them that even with all the female-centric content that's so popular right now, some of these pioneering minds are not getting the attention they deserve. So, the time has come, and to be honest, I've been waiting for this for a while now, to start introducing you to a few of the women we think could sneak into a men's room, women who could sit at any table with a bunch of guys talking shop and hold their own. But before we get to our guest today, I have a virtual ticket for you. So, you're stuck at home and another weekend's coming up and you have no plans. But wait! Uber House, one of Beirut's most legendary nightclubs, has teamed up with other great clubs like BO18 and The Garden and organized an awesome three-day virtual electronic music festival called Electronic Labor Day. And that's happening this Friday, May 1st, starting at 12 p.m. and going non-stop around the clock through Sunday, May 3rd at 12 a.m. So not only can you listen to live DJs from all around the world, including people like Jack Master from the UK and Mexico's DJ Hector, but it's also a fundraiser where you can show your support for all the nightclub and restaurant staff who are out of work right now, so you can make sure they're still around to entertain you and take care of you once this is all over. It's a great fundraising project, and I think it should be replicated all around the world, honestly. So check it out. Just look for Electronic Labor Day on all the main platforms, including Facebook and Instagram, to log into the live stream this Friday at 12. Okay, so let's get down to business. We have our first female guest on the men's room today. Joining me from London, please welcome the talented and hilarious Maria Shahada. Maria is an award-winning Egyptian-American comedian who has lived in New York, LA, and now London. Under normal circumstances, she performs regularly at some of the country's top comedy clubs. But thanks to COVID-19, she has turned her attention, lucky for you, to a podcast called Two Non-Doctors. And we're so glad to have her on the show today to bring a little humor to this crazy pandemic madness. Hey, Maria, how are you? I'm doing really good. How are you? Great. You know, couldn't be better. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so you're a stand-up comic. Stand-up comedy seems like a whole other world, a world of its own. I would imagine that it's a fun but really tough business to be in. Is it? It's, I mean, whatever you're imagining is right. <laughs> oh. It's, um, <laughs> it's a really hard thing to do, to get on stage and try to make people laugh and... Not to toot my own horn and say whatever I'm doing is so hard, but it really is hard. It's a very difficult thing. Have you ever tried uh, tried stand-up? No. 
And it's one of those things, it's like a lot of people think they're funny or, you know, in the right kind of situation, they might say a lot of funny stuff and think like, maybe I could be a stand-up comic, but I'm sure that it has absolutely nothing to do with what most people think it is. It does have something to do with it, but the problem with stand-up is because the audience has no background of you and they don't know anything about you, they're not your friends. Right. Um, it's sort of like that person you are with your friends is ripped away from you and it takes you 10 years to get back to it. So you're just really bad at stand-up for a while, <laughs> you know? And How then, long have you been doing it? I've been doing it like 15 years now. Okay. I guess it would be hard. And I think that would be my problem. Be like, you make a joke and you're like, what do you mean? You, you don't get it? Don't you know? Don't you know my sense of humor? No, you have to kind of establish that like in a, in a very kind of uh, witty way or clever way. Is that... Accurate. Yeah, you can't really get on stage and say, what, you don't get it? Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with you guys? Which, um, <laughs> you know, some people try to do, but <laughs> it really puts the audience against you right away. Yeah, so not going to try that. Yeah, it's not for everybody, but um, if you can if you can stand it, if you can get up there and bear it, uh, bear bombing, then, you know, it pays off in the end. Is it harder to be a comedian as a woman, and especially an Arab woman? I think so. I think um, I think there's a sort of forgiveness you get as a, a white male comedian and everybody just like they expect you to be funny. And then they see a woman. A lot of the times when I'm at a comedy club and the MC says uh, your next comedian is and whatever, they see a girl get on stage. And a lot of the times guys get up and go, oh, I'm going to go get a beer. <laughs> they don't even want to watch women. Um So you're just right off the bat, you're, you're just, um, people don't have any confidence in you. So you have, to, you have to dig out of that preconceived notion already. What's the ratio of like male to female comedians? Do you know? I mean, no, that's, <laughs> that's statistics and I'm terrible with math, but I would guess, I mean, now, like it depends, like in England or America, maybe like five to five, like half and half. Oh, but okay. In the Middle East, like I've talked to comedians all over the world Um, just trying to get an idea of what like the female comedy scene is like. And a lot of times it might be one in 10. It's just harder for females to be nurtured in the field because a lot is going against them. Society, uh, family, everybody sort of has a prejudice against uh, females getting on stage and telling jokes for stumps for some reason. Yeah. Because like a, a comedic actress, fine. If you want to make a funny sketch, fine. But if you want to get up and do, do stand up, you're, you know... <laughs> you're looked down upon. It's unusual. So how Egyptian are you? Um, I'm 100% Egyptian. Like both my parents are from Cairo, but I grew up in Ohio. I was born and raised in Ohio. So <laughs> so I'm Egyptian by blood. I mean, do you speak uh, Arabic? Did you grow up eating, you know, Egyptian food? Did you visit there? I did grow up eating Egyptian food. I do not speak Arabic. My parents tried to teach me and I just sort of Um, didn't want to learn, <laughs> but I was young. I didn't know. They should have just made me do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, all the, you know, the Egyptian food I grew up with and the, the culture was still there. Just, just, I don't know. I don't know if watered down is the right word, but um, it's definitely like I had both worlds I was growing up with. Yeah. Watered down sounds about right. Um, yeah. So at what point in your life did you decide that, hey, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian? And what did your Egyptian parents say when you told them that? I imagine as a, even a boy would have gotten a weird response, especially from, you know, Middle Eastern parents. What did they say when you told them? Well, they, okay. So I, I, I decided to, 
I decided after college I wanted to work at a comedy club. And then within like a couple of years of working at one, I decided I wanted to do it. I didn't tell my parents right away because I was afraid to. Um, and so what ended up happening was the local paper did a an, an article on me because I'd moved to New York. And so they were talking about, you know, a girl from Ohio doing stand-up comedy, moved to New York. And that's how they found out. They saw it in the paper and they, um, they weren't super happy with it. And, you know, obviously they're asking me what I talk about and they said, well, it's just a hobby. Um, so everything, so I just, my entire comedy career has been like fighting with them about what this means to me in my life. Like they could accept it as a hobby, but not as a real career. And so when I quit my full-time job that was a huge fight with me and my dad and he was like well you know who's gonna marry you if you're running around the country being a clown and uh <laughs> they accept, yeah which was but, but he's he was right <laughs> wait 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 um, didn't you just get engaged no i was engaged oh. to another clown and then um no we broke it off oh and, i'm so uh, sorry to hear that but you know i'm seeing somebody else now and he's great he's also a clown it just turns out like other clowns um the comedians are attracted to other comedians um but yeah they, i mean they're on board now they they they've given up trying to make me something else and so they've accepted the comedy thing oh that's good so how big is comedy in the middle east i mean in, in the states it's really big in some of the major cities and by really big is it really big i mean it's kind of a there's the stand-up scene and then comedians kind of tend to graduate into more mainstream media but how, what about in the middle east i saw that you had this netflix film that you were in called just like us a few years ago and you guys were doing the first ever comedy show in Alexandria, Egypt. Is is it getting more popular now? I think it was. Um, I think because that film is a little bit, I think it came out in 2009, maybe. I think around that time, um, the like stand-up comedy sort of got really big in the Middle East because of YouTube. And then so there was an Axis of Evil tour, with, which was Ahmed Ahmed, Maz Jibrani, um, Aaron Cater, and Dino Bidala. And that really sparked a lot of interest and I think started the scenes in the Middle East. But um, it, I think it waned a bit. And then, and then the Arab Spring happened. And after, you know, I was talking to a female comedian in Egypt and she said the, the mood sort of fell. It, she said there isn't a lot of comedy because people aren't, they're not in a high spirit anymore, you know. Um, But I mean, it's there. The scenes are, I, I, I think they're smaller. They're there, but they're not, um, they're not flourishing mm -hmm. the way it might do in, in the West. Hmm. But I mean, somebody proved me wrong. Like, I don't want to, I don't want somebody, a comedian to be sitting in Palestine going, well, she doesn't know anything. It's like, no, maybe I don't. I imagine that you're right. I would imagine, because I don't hear about that many, you know, there's not a huge kind of scene, really. It's still more of an American thing. Do you ever go back to Egypt? No, I haven't been back since 2007. I was supposed to go back right before right before the Arab Spring broke out. We were going to go on a huge Middle Eastern tour. Hmm. So we're going to go to Egypt, Syria, e like Lebanon, Yemen, Egypt, Palestine. And then the Arab Spring broke out. And then so one by one, we're crossing off Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, Yemen. And we just went to Gaza where it was safe. <laughs> and, <laughs> Good one. Uh, And then, you know, so I've, I haven't, I haven't been back. I'd like to go back, but, um, 
you know, my parents are getting very old and they're in Ohio, so they don't travel far long distances anymore. Yeah. And, and I don't really have a strong connection with my extended family in Egypt. So. Okay. So, so you lived in New York. You went, to, I don't know, did you go to college in New York? No, I went to college in Ohio. Okay. And then when I graduated college, I worked at a comedy club for a few years in Ohio and then I moved to New York. And I was there for four years, and I lived in Los Angeles for seven years, and then I've been in London for four. Okay, so what brought you to London? I was engaged. Uh, it was the guy. And oh, okay. Yeah, I met him when I was living in Los Angeles, but I had visited London just on a trip. And uh, and then we stayed in touch, and we started FaceTiming each other while I was back in Los Angeles. And, you know, for six months, we FaceTimed every night, five hours a night, and then he came to visit me. And then so... After about six months, he proposed, and I moved to, I moved to London uh, after that, which didn't seem that crazy because my parents knew each other for for three days. I think because like my dad was looking for a wife, and um, my mom wanted to move to America, and so he flew back and met a few potential women. It's like The Bachelor. And yeah, uh, but the times have changed. Let's be honest. I mean, it, people just have live differently now. I don't feel that that would be as successful unless you live like in a small town or village where you have like the world is tiny. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Times have definitely changed. There's all kinds of ways to meet people, more people like I mean, <laughs> people have different just... expectations now also for themselves. They see yes. that the world is bigger. You feel like, you know, the, you can be go anywhere and do anything and i think that a few generations ago that just didn't cross people's minds oh the world was much smaller but now everything and everyone is at your fingertips and you can learn about um you could go anywhere just on google maps you could see the world sitting in your living room yeah it's amazing well wait wait till everyone has those uh, vr goggles and and doesn't have to get on planes anymore which might actually happen, considering they're shutting down all the airports for the foreseeable future. But um, I was, was going to say, get on those VR goggles. And definitely. Now's the time. Yeah. I mean, they have some amazing stuff like that they're developing, which literally makes you feel like you're visiting and seeing the actual places. Um, but so how is this scene in London? I would imagine that it's not so great. And don't you feel like you kind of compromised by leaving L.A. and New York, which is like the the heartbeat of the comedy scene, to go to this kind of... Uh, not so popular for comedy uh, city? No, not at all. I think London's a great place for comedy. Um, it's It's got a huge comedy scene. And actually, L.A. was terrible. I hated doing stand-up in L.A. It was... I just think L.A. was a good place if you want to be an actor, if you want to make a movie. There's everybody... There's, like, so many resources at your fingertips. But when you're doing stand-up, it's a really hard city to get an audience to just be a good audience. A, the weather's nice. Nobody wants to go see comedy when the weather's nice. Like comedy clubs notoriously get um, worse business in the summer. And B, when they do go see comedy, they want to see the stars. They want to see the the ones that are on TV. The, the like. So coming up and stand up in LA was really tough. And so when I came to London, uh, the audiences here are just incredible and they're up for laughing and they come out in hundreds. Um, and they just, they... <laughs> I want to say they love me, but I realized how pompous that sounds. But I do really well here, you know, and I just I have a great time. And I, I, I just feel like my humor is really, uh, really like they really get it, you know. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. So what's the goal as a comedian? Is it to like just do stand up and be as busy and go to the most prestigious venues or to get jobs in film and TV? What's your what's your ultimate goal? My ultimate goal is to have a have my own TV show. So I've, you know. 
I've I've been writing I've written pilots for years. I have a current like a pilot I'm currently working on, but I just keep trying and trying and trying. I want to get that show. Um so that's the ultimate goal for me. I don't I know a lot of comedians who are, who would be fine just headlining for the rest of their lives, but I I need to do other things. I want to like make movies and and make a TV show and I have a podcast and all that. Like I I um I would have a lot of fun in that medium. Yeah. Well, you know what they say, if you you'll never fail if you don't quit. So Yeah, I know. And I'm just like, I'm going to keep going. Someone's giving me a TV show. Yeah. I'm not giving up. <laughs> Good. Good attitude. <laughs> so um, who are some of your biggest inspirations? Is there anyone that's really big now in comedy? You talked about the stars. Are, is there anyone that you think is really good at their craft and funny? So many people. Oh, that would, um, you know, I would say like the, like Sarah Silverman, Maria Bamford, Bill Burr, are the three I love a lot right now. Um, I mean, they just keep getting better and better and better. All the people I started loving when I started doing stand-up are still in the game. They're still doing stand-up and they're just becoming monsters. And, you know, because they've got 30 years under their belt or something. And, and I don't know if you've ever seen Maria Bamford, but... No, I don't know who that is. I know who the other two are. You don't know Bill Burr? Or... I do know. I, knew, I do know. Oh, of course, yeah. Sarah Silverman and Bill Burr. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Oh, Maria's great. And, um, you know, she's very open and honest about, she's open about her mental health issues. She's, she's funny. She does funny voices. She's, she's just a gem of a person. And I love that she does stand up. It's, I, I, I don't know. So those are the three that really inspire me. So how do you prepare your shows? Like, what's the process like? How do you get inspired? For a live show? Yeah. I don't, I get very tired. Does that make sense? No. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you Because, mean. I almost feel like I have um, like stress-induced narcolepsy or something. I get very tired before a show, and I just have no energy. And I, you know, I know people who like shadow box and they they punch the air and like get ready for a set by by pretend beating someone up. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing, but I want to go to sleep. <laughs> and so it's like it's like I'm conserving all my energy or something. And so by the time I get on stage, I'm fine. I'm absolutely knocking it out of the park. But beforehand, you would think that I. You know, I was I, I I could pass out on the couch waiting to go on stage. That's so odd. Yeah, I would really like to know. It's actually something I should Google. I would really like to know if anybody else has ever. I know that some comedians talk about getting tired before their sets. It sounds to me like kind of um, psychologically like involuntary escape mechanism. Like you just want it. Let's just go to sleep. Yeah, that's exactly what it <laughs> you is. You know, I think I think it's just too stressful, and so my response to that is to pass out. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad that that you stay awake. So, um, but how do you prepare your jokes? I mean, do you write them down? Do you learn? I know a lot of. Um, comedians uh, like Trevor Noah, for example, talks about how he's very meticulous about writing the jokes and, and the way he's going to deliver them. Are you that meticulous? No, everybody's so different. I'm not meticulous at all. I, um, I write the idea of the joke down, like just, you know, bullet points. And I have, my jokes are a mess. It's like all over my notes in my phone. It's on scraps of paper. It's on my computer. So I don't really, I don't have like a one place I need to keep them, which I should. It would really help. So, so do you come up with jokes like every day? I come up with jokes as they come up talking to a friend or just something I'm thinking about or they just sort of occur to me. And then I get on stage, hopefully that night, and I try it and I see what happens. And if it gets a little bit of a laugh, I, I work on it and I make it better and I change it and I try it again, you know. 
but it's just been, it's just been hard because I can't get on stage. So now uh, if I come up with a joke, I'm thinking, all right, well, it, it may just disappear forever because I don't have an outlet and I might just forget about it. So I need to get really better about keeping track of them and being organized, but I'm just not meticulous. I know some people are. I've talked to a lot of comedians who just have a thought. They try it out that night and some people who will write for hours and I'm just not that person. Uh, you've started a podcast called Tune on Doctors. What is that all about? Yeah, that podcast is keeping me sane. So my friend Liz Mealy and I, we've been friends for over a decade and we we just talk to each other about our health problems all the time and like she thinks she knows everything and I think I know everything when really we're just Googling stuff. But um, so when the quarantine happened, we decided to start this podcast because it's just sort of, we've been self-diagnosing for years because we've had either no health insurance or bad health insurance. And uh, we just thought it'd be fun to like talk about our health problems and what we've Googled about health and um, stuff like that. Like I have something called misophonia. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. No. So it's it's literally translated into the hatred of sound. But I have certain sounds I can't hear or it sends me into a rage. Really? Like which it's sounds? Gum chewing and whistling. I cannot stand. And that's just two. But like there's all kinds of things. Sometimes it's repetitive movement. Like if somebody's twirling their hair, or clicking a pen. I mean, doesn't everybody kind of have that? I mean, I feel like I feel that way when people I can hear them like chewing cereal or if they're like tapping their foot. And, you know, at what point do you know that you can put a label on it? Yes. So everyone gets annoyed by these things, but I am sent into a rage. So it's not, a, it's an abnormal reaction to annoying things. It's, it's like, I want to punch and throw and kill. And, uh, and I thought I was a very strange person for a long time. And I remember Liz found an article about misophonia and she was like, I think this is you. And then I get on Facebook and, and there are a lot of people who feel this way, but Um, the reaction to these trigger noises isn't a normal, like, oh, that's annoying, stop it. It's like, I'm going to kill you. That's so odd. It is. It's a very odd thing. It's a hard thing to explain to people. Well, I'm glad you have it diagnosed. Yeah, so she did that. And um, and uh, so we talk about that. We talk about her depression or dyslexia. We talk about the stuff we've Googled, like, um, you know, I Googled, like, are horror movies bad for you? And she Googled, why does her boyfriend twitch when he falls asleep? Which I do, too. And what's the answer? I don't know, actually. She's going to say that today on our podcast. Oh, but, like, keeping the, the suspense, I, I see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, do, you, do you twitch when you fall asleep? Well, I'm not sure because I'm falling asleep. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess, yeah, there are some that sometimes like it kind of wakes you up and you're like, oh, right? Is that what Yeah, totally. Yeah, that is weird. I wonder what, what why. I think your muscles are relaxing and then they just twitches they relax I don't know I don't know if you've ever smoked pot but the same thing sort of happens when you're high okay and I just think it's something to do with muscle relaxers oh like a maybe a nervous thing a nerve thing y yeah yeah okay well doctors are in the house clearly <laughs> <laughs> there is at least one anyways um so the name of your show is it inspired by that 90s band like um four non-blondes for some reason yeah, I it is it is we you know because because um I used to make fun of us for all the self-diagnosis we did I'm like we're like two non-doctors and she was like that's funny we should use that for a title for something and then we eventually did 
Um, but yeah, I was definitely inspired by Four Non Blondes. It's kind of funny because Four Non Blondes, they only had that one hit, What's Up, which was actually a great song. Um, but the, the singer, the head singer, Linda Perry, is actually like a very powerful producer in L.A. She's written songs for a lot of singers like Christina Aguilera and uh, Adele and um, Alicia Keys. And so I just thought it was interesting because she's actually a very uh, kind of... Well, she just got an award at the She Rocks Awards um, for being like a producer and a woman producer and stuff like that. And and I was wondering, are there any awards for like female comedians? I don't know, but if there are, I'd like to I'd like to put my hat in the ring. She, by the way, Linda Perry wears amazing hats. I was gonna say, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, what a coincidence. Maybe you should wear a hat. I, I li- think that's a good idea, actually. I think I just need a look. You know, sometimes it helps. Maybe like, uh, you know, those guys that are going out for a beer, like if you had like some kind of hat or I don't know, something to like, to be like, ooh. Conversation starter. Yeah. Just uh, like, oh, it's a nice hat. Where'd you get it? And then suddenly we're talking and then I'm handing him my business card for my podcast. Exactly. <laughs> so um, is female comedy different, you think, than male comedy? Like, what are the, some of the topics that you talk about? I don't think it's that different. I just think that, I think the only thing is that women talk about their periods, which guys go, ugh, I'm turning off right now. Like, I'm always afraid to say that on the podcast and have people tune out. Yeah. But I mean, like men and women talk about, you know, sex, food, family, jobs, money. I mean, there are only so many premises out there in the world. It's just all down to perspective. Um, but I, I just feel like as soon as a woman talks about her body specifically, guys are like, oh, you're just one of those female comedians. All you talk about is your body. And, um, Like, I don't know how dirty we can be on this podcast, so I You can be as up. dirty as you want. Okay. Yeah, so, so it's like they're always like, oh, oh women only over... All they ever talk about is their vagina. And it's just... Guys talk about their dicks all the time. All the time. That's really like, true. They, yeah. And nobody says anything about it. But as soon as a girl says anything, like uterus, uh, period, tampon, guys are like, ah, it's like, it's like they're five years old and they cover their ears and run screaming. I think the vagina thing, I think if you were to use other words, like I know the whole V word is a whole thing, but I think if you were going to use like a dirtier word, I think they would actually be like in it. Like if you use the word pussy, for example, I think they would find that sexy. Oh, you think they would turn on to that, but not if yeah. that pussy is bleeding. No. Like, so oh, the, no. <laughs> well, let's not forget that's actually like a unpleasant bodily function. Like, but you're right. Guys talk about like, you know, pooping. I, you know, they talk about this kind of stuff and they're like, oh, laughing. They laugh amongst themselves but I think women when they hear a male comedian talking about that that's kind of the moment where they're like ew so it goes both ways I guess you have to balance it out uh, yeah I just don't think that women are that much different than men I just think that it's less tolerated if they do talk about that stuff hmm obviously you have a lot more experience with this than I do but I could see how you know as a woman even sometimes I mean it's not just those topics I don't know how you feel about language as well like as as a podcast host I sometimes think about using certain expressions that I use in my everyday life like I don't know the f word shit show um, you know things like that and I know that being a woman especially in the Arab world would be less tolerated if I was a guy it wouldn't even be a question but I know that might turn off some of my audience 
Well, that's why I even asked. I was like, I don't know what I'm allowed to say on here. So I was keeping it super clean. I'm like women talking about their bodies. Um, I just <laughs> ladies. I the, yeah, I'm like, are you trying to get advertisement? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Will I ruin it if I say dick? Um, <laughs> no worries. So how do you how do you record? I mean, po okay, let's talk about podcasts. Um, everyone has a podcast now in this in the U.S. at least. Um, what are your thoughts on podcasting and how do you record yours? Do you record yours from your house and like remotely with your co-host? Yeah, I just, I feel like uh, I couldn't imagine an easier art to get into than podcasting. Like stand-up's pretty accessible. You don't have to have a big instrument that you lug around. You don't have to have a lot of money or any money. You know, you just get on stage with your thoughts and you say them out loud. The only thing stopping most people is the nerves of that podcast you're in the safety of your own home in front of your computer nobody's you don't necessarily have to be in front of other people and it's just i mean like yeah of course everyone has their podcast because we do our, our we do ours on zencaster because she's in new york she's in brooklyn i'm in london um so we have zencaster which will record both of our audios and, and mesh it together um and if it's that easy why wouldn't you Why wouldn't anyone just record a podcast? Because to be honest, I spent some money on a microphone. I didn't need to. I'm I'm I've I'm using I'm not using a mic now, but uh, I've used no mic before. I sound fine, and you can hear it fine. And it's just so it's and it's easier than blogging because you don't have to write. No one likes writing. Well, I know? like to write. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you're free. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. I mean, I know what you mean. It is a bit, it's a lot more, uh, it takes a lot more time and thought to, to write something and talking is just like, you know, you can talk whatever you want and, and, and let loose. And it's the expectations are lower in some way for some reason. I don't know why. Um, so what's the stupid, as an Egyptian American, do you, do you feel like you're ever typecast? And do you think that, I mean, what's the stupidest thing you've ever gotten in, in the West, like relating to your uh your nationality or not your nationality your heritage i like in la uh i had a guy friend who was a bit of a pothead and when i told him i was egyptian he was like oh dude you're egyptian i thought those people were extinct it's like no way what, yeah. what does, that, does that even mean he just because like everyone in america like when like when you hear of egypt you think of ancient egypt oh yeah like the, the pyramids and aliens and You don't think of current Egypt, I guess, you know, but most people know Egypt's still there. And like, I just laughed so hard when he was like, I thought they were extinct. That's um, really funny. Yeah. Uh, so it's probably the dumbest thing that's come up. It's very sad, but you know, <laughs> he was pretty. Yeah. So <laughs> he was pretty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Alrighty then. So what's what's on what's the, the plan? I noticed that you had a lot of dates planned uh, for the next few weeks in some of the comedy clubs in London. What's what are you gonna do? You've canceled them all. What's your plan? Yeah, I well the the podcast is the plan. It has a Patreon if you know people enjoy the podcast. Uh they can they can donate not donate, I guess it's like subscribe to the Patreon. Um, that's one plan. And the next, you know, like I do a bit of stand-up comedy coaching, like online um, Skype sessions. Can you give us a tip here? Like what kind of tip would you give in a, in a session on, on learning how to be a stand-up comedian? Like don't write, don't write your jokes like you're speaking formally to an audience. Like so many open micers start comedy as if they are giving a presentation. 
and you know you say like cliches like the truth of the matter is and suddenly like you become this performer rather than a friend just speaking to another friend um so when you're writing i would say have your best friend in mind and write as if you were speaking to them and that's how you should deliver the material and opinions points of view are so important because a lot of the times when you start out, you just say the words of the joke and you're delivering it like you're a newscaster. There's no point of view behind it. There's no emotion behind it. You're not angry. You're not self-deprecating. And it's like, you need something like that. You need um, the emotion to drive the joke. That's almost sometimes funnier than the actual joke itself. Um, so where can people hear your comedy? Let's see. So my my podcast is called Two Non-Doctors, and that's on all of the, that's on every, like, Apple, um, Spotify, Stitcher, all that. And if you go to my website, com, I have videos, I have a couple videos up and, and um, links to my YouTube. Awesome. Well, check it out, everyone. And, and Maria, thank you so much for joining us today and for talking to us and for being our first woman on the men's room. Yeah. Yeah, an Egyptian to boot, like it doesn't get much better than that. Like you're 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 one you're extinct and we found one of you. It's awesome. <laughs> well done you. It's fun <laughs> being in the men's room with you. All right, see you again next time. That's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and give it a thumbs up. Don't you wish they had other fingers there? Well, not for this show, though. Thank goodness they don't have it. Actually, bad, bad idea. But be sure to follow us on social media at hakawadi.fm and the Nadia Michelle. Ugh, I need to change that idea handle. Lots of love. See you next time. <laughs>